Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Well, we're all going to drown, aren't we, if we get much more water? It's been terrible yesterday, although, to be honest with you, it didn't affect me in the slightest. I just thought it's just a bit of rain, but they tell me there's more on the way. The Beeb DJ barred for the breastfeed row apparently only wants attractive women to do it. But as I say, I'm more surprised that somebody working for the BBC actually had an opinion on something. Generally speaking, they sit on the fence, they're not allowed to have opinions. Liza Minnelli is going to play the Palladium with Bruce Forsyth. It's going to be a question and answer situation. I'm not really sure on that one will go. Uh, drivers swerve the truth to get cheaper insurance, but as you know, and I better tell you now, that if you don't tell the truth with the insurance company and 4000 a week get caught out, your insurance is invalid. Simple as that. Lord Janner ordered to court today. His lawyers have tried desperately to not get him to appear because he's got dementia, because of this, because of that. And uh, the courts have said, no, they'll treat him very well. He won't be there for very long. They're just going to make sure. I, I mean, he's, I keep forgetting he is fairly ancient. Nick Ferrari will probably ask that question later. You know, is it right that a man's seriously ill with dementia? Although he's managed to make it to the House of Lords on about 200 occasions. So I don't know how the dementia is affecting him. I mean, quite clearly... You know, I would have thought, as I said before, that if you were up on charges like that, you'd want to get into court and clear yourself as quick as possible. Whether he's aware he's in court, I don't know. I'm assuming he was aware he was in the House of Lords when he was voting in there, so I'm assuming he must have good days and bad days. But either way, they're uh, they're not putting it off any longer. They're, they're putting him into court. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Having had the DPP say for ages, you know, we're not going to put him in court, he's got dementia. As if that was the answer. It's like saying, I've got whiplash. You know, I couldn't possibly be driving a vehicle. It's all very peculiar. Anyway, we'll be following that on LBC a little bit later on today. What do you think the average speed of rush hour traffic is? 24 miles an hour. I thought that was way above. I would have thought 10 miles an hour would have been more like it. I love the story of the whale that begged for help. Didn't actually sort of beg for help, but it came up by a boat because it had a plastic bag that was uh, fixed to its face. And so they took it off it and it turned around and it sort of splashed the water with its flipper. That's almost like an animal talking to you, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, Kerry Katona's husband uh, questioned over a robbery. She apparently doesn't know about it. Oh, from bad to worse, eh, Kerry? Things just can't get it. She's had to downsize because, obviously, the money's running out. she better do something quickly. she better get herself pregnant because otherwise she'll have no more stories to sell. The Atomic Kitten tour cancelled due to lack of ticket sales. Kerry Katona's career going nowhere. Daniela Westbrook kicked out of Big Brother before she's even got into it because they've uh, deemed that really she's not fit for purpose and I think they could have been taken to court for actually putting a seriously ill woman on the television. You know, you don't put somebody on there to be laughed at. She's not good value at all. She was never good value. She was only good lu- good value because people were laughing at her. And, uh, and they also announced that... Uh, have they announced anybody else for Strictly Come Dancing? No. So far we've got a has-been cook... We've got uh, the ridiculous Jeremy Vine. I mean, quite clearly, you don't have to look at him to realise he can't dance for toffee. And Kelly Bright, who went to stage school. I mean, that's about it so far. They'll no doubt dig somebody up from a cemetery or from Hollyoaks. But so far, they're all BBC people, have you noticed? They're operating a bit of a cartel down there at Strictly. Mind you, I don't hold out much hope for anybody being on there that you've ever heard of before. Uh, The banning smoking outside pubs and schools. I like that idea. Guess who's anti it? Oh, Colleen Nolan. You remember Colleen? Oh, I have to laugh at Colleen. I still like looking at the bit now where Katie Hopkins appeared on Loose Women. And Katie Hopkins said to me, she said she hated me. Absolutely hated me. She said, and so when we, I had an assistant with me. I think it was a friend or something like that. And uh, Colleen Nolan couldn't hide her distaste for her. So she turned her back on her during the interview. It was really funny. It was really funny. And... 
The interesting thing is that Colleen smokes like a trooper. I mean, she stinks like an ashtray. Seriously, you can't get within ten feet of her. You know she smokes. You can smell it all over her. And uh, after she had the spat with Katie Hopkins, Katie said she was her hands were shaking as she tried to, to put the cigarette in her mouth. She, she couldn't get the cigarette in there fast enough. She looks like she smokes, doesn't she? She's got that sort of, kind of rough, leathery look to her. I can always spot people who smoke. I can spot them a mile off. I can hear it in somebody's voice, only because I don't smoke. And, and I, can, I can see it in somebody's face. Ian Collins, apparently, was furious about that banning smoking. Does he, I can't remember if he smokes, though. I can't remember. I think he might do. I think he might do. I know that, uh, that Petri's got one of those pretend cigarettes. She's got one of those sort of vapour kind of things. But Ian, you see how the trouble is, I used to smoke. You know, I smoked from the age of, of 13. And, uh, and quite happily so. And up until the time I stopped, I was doing... Oh, Darren's got one of those. Has he got one of those as well? Has he just started doing the vaping thing? Did he do cigarettes before? I think he did cigarettes before. I think I've seen cigarettes out on the desk. Packets of ten. I've definitely seen them. And they're certainly not mine. And unless the cleaner's got a secret fag habit out there. I I think Darren smoked. Perhaps he stopped. I don't know. Did you stop? And you say that he'll probably catch it. He's going out the building because we're in the lift this morning as well as the reception. I think he. I think he did smoke. I used to do sixty a day. I used to love it. I used to love smoking. Love it. Oh, I tell you, you could, me and cigarettes. I used to sort of when they brought in the, sm- the the smoking ban in restaurants. I would eat the main course as quick as possible, then rush outside for a cigarette before they brought dessert. I could manage to do that. And of course, at one time in LBC, you could smoke in the studio. You could sit here with an ashtray. <sighs> Happily go through the papers. You know, the guests had come in. Newsreader have a fag on. Everybody. At one point in the studios, in the last building that we... Not the last bit. The, the building before the last one. You could smoke in the studio. Everybody came into my studio to smoke. I'd have six people sitting in there smoking during the programme. I used to love it. And then, of course, I stopped smoking. And I don't, I don't like it. I'm not sanctimonious about it. I couldn't care less. I really... You know, somebody smokes doesn't bother me in the slightest. But I've luckily got loads of friends who tend not to smoke. I've only got a few ex-producers, mainly. They had to turn to smoking. It was either that or drink working with me. And smoking was the easiest thing. But I've never been sanctimonious. People said, nothing worse than reformed smokers. You know, people get, ooh, I don't like smoking and all that. I couldn't give a toss. I couldn't, I really couldn't care less. I've been in hospital. I've had my heart surgery. So I know exactly what it's like to see people sitting there gagging for a fag. I've seen people standing outside hospitals who with um, sort of cigarettes on, clinging onto their drip. <laughs> Somebody told me Georgia May Foote is another Strictly contestant. Yes, funny that, isn't it, really? That's the woman. I'm leaving. I'm going to be in America. I'm going out with this boy. I finished with him. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Oh, Christ, she's back again. Here she is back again. And, of course, you know why she can dance? She's been to stage school. So she's got the upper hand. They, they, they think that Ainsley Harriet can dance. You better be able to. He can't present... That's why you've not seen him on television for ages and ages, because there is no work. You know, once you've seen enough of him, and he's a bit irritating. You know, I've had enough of the double entendres with him. I'm a little bit tediously bored. You know, he used to be a stand-up comedian. That didn't last either, I'm afraid. He's a bit like David Lammy. David Lammy's about as funny as nothing. David Lammy isn't at all interesting. And as for Diane Abbott, she looks like she's got some funny smell under her nose, doesn't she? And I was watching Google Box the other day. Is it Googlebox and Gogglebox? God, it's contrived. It really is. I mean, it, it's absolutely bizarre. They were looking at... What were they looking at? Oh, it, was, it must have been... Um, 
It must have been an old one because it was a police programme, I think 24 hours in custody, which is quite interesting. Where they, The moment they actually show somebody's face, you know that they're going to get off. And uh, there was a guy on there, and I'd seen him before, they actually accused him. And when he was being interviewed by the police, the police go, so on the night in question, did you use your telephone? No comment. And he went through the whole thing. No comment. No comment. No comment. And in the end, he actually uh, was found not guilty by the jury. And everybody on, on Gogglebox was going, what? Can't believe it. And it was, uh, it was an interesting... I remember watching it the first time it went out. I just remember thinking some of the people on that uh, programme, some of the police officers didn't do themselves any favours at all. It wasn't the best programme. And some of the couples on, on Gogglebox... There was, there's one family. I don't know who they are. You've got mum, fairly attractive, father, desperately overweight, son, OK, and fat daughter. And fat daughter is... I mean, they, they might be Greek... Something like that. I don't know what their name is. I have no idea at all. But it was the time of George uh, Watsit's wedding to Amal. George Clooney's wedding to Amal. And the mother was going, um, he's really the best looking man in the world. Fat daughter goes, yeah, over, over dad, he's not. Dad is the best looking. And I'm looking at father thinking, I don't think he is, dear. Perhaps you wear glasses. And so, so the mother's going, well, he's really attractive. And the daughter's getting quite angry about this. She's going, yeah, but dad's more attractive. Oh, no, he's not. Compared to what? The sideboard? Yes, he's more attractive than the sideboard. And the daughter's going, well, I'm telling you, mum, if ever I found out that you went with somebody over and above dad, you'd be dealing with me. And I looked at this fat little blob and I thought, who in God's name are you? And then I watched The Housewives of Orange County yesterday. <gasps> it was bliss. Seriously, it's like reality porn. It is fantastic. It's old shows where there's a lot of dog-rough women. I mean, really dog-rough. I mean, you are seriously looking at sort of Orange County's rescue dog centre. They're there and they, they think that they're being classy. But not one of them is classy. One of them, Tamra. Tamara is the vilest bag under the sun. It's bad drag. It's your grandmother who thinks she's young and she thinks she's got the perfect marriage. And, of course, she hasn't. And then there's Vicky, who wants to be everybody's friend. And then you've got Gretchen. And Gretchen just looks like a low-rent hooker. And they're all on there in this programme. And it's just brilliant. It's the most exciting programme on the television. Even the reruns are good because they all argue. But not one of them has got a big house. The housewives of Beverly Hills have got big houses. They've got real big, expensive, multi-million pound mansions. What have they got in Orange County? Condominiums. Crap housing. Like social housing. And they're all, all the women are bleach blonde. All the women are bleach blonde. They've all had little bits of work. One of them, Tamara, the other day, who's vile. I mean, she really is revolting. And I don't think she realises just how bad she is. She went to get a tattoo the other day. This is how bad these people are. This is how bad, because her son's got tattoos as well, and the husband might or might not have tattoos. But they all try and pretend that they've got the best marriages going, and of course they haven't. All their marriages are falling apart. In fact, uh, this is the early stages. Vicky, who has uh, a daughter who gets herself pregnant, and then goes and gets married without telling her mother. And she's got the wayward son who's been in, uh, well, let's just say that the police over there have looked after him on a few occasions. Which, you know, which is nice. Of course, I can say anything I like. It's an American programme. Different jurisdiction over there. But they're, they're all, there's something the matter with every one of them. Vicky's marriage is about to collapse. And I feel like writing to us saying, we could see that the cracks were appearing because your husband doesn't love you. Why? 
because you're ugly. And it was a case of, you know, I'm sure between the sheets she's probably cracking. I'm sure she's absolutely fantastic. It's just you've got to look at the face. And when you see her and she's, and they all start, they all cry. At every point in the programme, somebody cries. It is the, when it first started, I got so excited. I mean, it, it completely changed my day. I thought it was the best programme on the telly. Now we've got loads of them. You've got the, the Mafia Housewives. You've got, um, I mean, they, are you looking at pictures of them? That's really, and that's when they're airbrushed. You can imagine what they look like in real life. But it's Tamara. I think Tamara is Christian, but she is the most unchristian person I've ever seen in my life. She is really... They're just awful. They wear the cheapest clothes. They all think that they're sort of... They're really, you know, doing it. You know, I'm really doing it. And you think to yourself, you're really not. And they've got... They, they went to a party the other night, and apparently, I think Tamara's husband is not talking to Vicky because he said she's she's evil. And I thought, you want to look at your own wife, pal. She is evil, and she's got the broomstick. You know, you can spot this woman a mile off, you know. I defy in gravity. And there she is. She's sort of coming in, swoops into the series, adds a few knocks at people, and then disappears off. Brilliant. Try and catch it if you can. 17 past four. And all the cameras will be out for Jana. They'll all be... De- they'll be setting up already outside the court to make sure they get the best pictures of him arriving unless they take him in via a, a back entrance. But uh, make no mistake, he's appearing in court today. I was trying to think, after the um, the excitement of the Housewives of Orange County and the Housewives of Beverly Hills and the Housewives of New York and the Housewives of just about anywhere, they tried to do a British version. The series was cancelled. Mainly due to the fact they couldn't find anybody in Cheshire with any class whatsoever. It really was bring out your dead... It was a case of a lot of people pretending some right old tarts that they'd managed to find who were living in these ghastly houses. I mean, really, Cheshire is just full of kind of new money. It's sort of footballer territory. The worst thing is that you remember Paddy McGuinness the other day. You remember Paddy from Phoenix Nights and does it, you know, no likey, no lighty, you know. And then his wife goes into the nail bar and the man... Uh, who's doing her nails, he didn't speak very good English, and he was trying to explain to her that she's got hard skin on her feet, and she thought he said something else. So she goes home to Paddy, and she said, E bagumchuk, she said, I were in nail bar, and man in there said that, you know, looking at me, blah, blah, and, and she misheard. So Paddy, no likey, no lighty, goes down to the nail bar... And starts having a go at this poor bloke, which is very embarrassing. In fact, it's not embarrassing for Paddy McGuinness. It's more embarrassing for the wife. We now know she's got hard skin on her feet. Yucky, yucky, yuck, eh? And also, there aren't any other nail bars round there. Where's the poor cow going to go? Where's she going to get her nails done? Oh, dear. He's with me, darling, here. The nail man is next to me on stage. They'll have to bring him back from the other side. But uh, it it didn't work, did it? It didn't work. So banning smoking outside pubs and schools. You see, I mean, I'm not anti-smoking. I don't want anybody... I would never, ever be accused of being an anti-smoker because I was a smoker. I, to be honest with you, I'll be brutally honest, that if, if I... Uh, could never have started smoking than I probably would have done. But I was like most kids. I started at the uh, the back of the school bus. Somebody had a cigarette and I had a cigarette. And then my parents used to keep them at home. And I can remember saying to them, and they used to keep embassy in the cigarette. I've got this silver cigarette box, which was my parents. And they used to keep embassy cigarettes in there. It's about the only cigarette that fitted. You couldn't fit a bigger cigarette in and they didn't do them in those days anyway. And so my mother said, oh, you won't like smoking. Make you sick. 
Which, of course, is the wrong thing to say to a child. That's the wrong thing to say because I tried a cigarette and I quite liked it. I can still remember that very first cigarette that I pinched from my parents' cigarette box. How they never noticed that they were disappearing at the rate of knots, I've got no idea. But I did enjoy smoking. And, uh, and I became quite accomplished. So by the time I was 15, 16, I was happily whizzing through 20 fags a day. So by the time I got to be a little bit older, I was doing 60, 60 cigarettes, 60 cigarettes a day. I mean, I would have to come out with three packs at least with me. Luckily, I had lots of friends who worked for the airline, so they would sell me their duty-free allowance. So I was buying 200 Dunhill International for about 12 quid. So I mean, and I would, I would go home with 1,000. I'd go and, go and see friends of mine and come back with a thousand cigarettes because they were all buying them. And they'd started buying them for me then. And then I got my angina. And then I decided that uh, maybe not smoking anymore. So I stopped smoking. And um, it, was, it was not easy. I know I've spoken to people before and they go, I can never, you know, never stop smoking. I said, well, you can if you want to. You can if somebody says to you, listen, in fact, you didn't even need, I didn't even need to be told by a doctor to stop smoking. The angina was enough to make you stop smoking. Once you've had chest pains and you go, oh, Ooh, it really it hurt because what it is it's the uh, it's it's the blood trying to get through all your arteries which are all furred up and uh, oh, blooming pain it really was just going up a set of stairs was bad enough uh, Steve as an ex 60 a day says Kevin the milkman I miss smoking five years after quitting but I can light a cigarette for Sam when she's driving without wanting to take it down I do miss smoking though I can understand banning smoking outside schools but not outside pubs and as for Daniela Westbrook, so stunning before the drugs. Yes, I mean, it's all the papers are now full today of her being dropped from this thing. So, as I said yesterday, the advice would be, whether you think it's harsh or not, I think you have to be harsh with somebody who's done drugs and they've got children and they don't have a job. I think you have to be harsh and say, get off your fat bum, get out there and get a job. Forget about this ridiculous little showbiz world you think you're in, because you're not. We're not interested in you. Get out there, do something, and try and look after your children. Okay, and pro- it's it's not it's not complicated, you know. Otherwise, you know, let's put them into care if you don't think you can look after them, because you need to get a job. And I don't really care what you do for a job. It doesn't it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Just do something. But sitting around doing absolutely sweet nothing, I'm afraid, is not going to put food on the table. And as we head up to Christmas, what are you going to do, dear? Appear on television doing your usual crying act? No. Get out there and get a job. Try and grow up. Try and grow up. You know, I've seen people who managed to get themselves off drugs before. They've managed to grow up. What's so different about you? Uh, Steve, unfortunately not for my mum in hospital with a possible stroke, plus quite a few other issues. No words, to be honest, but thank you for being there. Well, I cry and actually laugh. And, uh, and that's... Oh, my daughter got AAB and off to uni. Thank you. It's, I mean, listen, everybody gets through things. Everybody gets through things, you know, no matter how how bad it is. Ian says an opinion at the BBC that won't get discussed on their little local phone-in shows. No, they they don't have it. That's why I was surprised that this this radio presenter had an opinion, had an opinion. I mean, I was to be honest with you, I was I was so shocked. I was so shocked. I had to sort of I had to read it twice because it's so unusual. A that sort of local radio people have an opinion, and B that anybody would ever heard of him. And he was, and he made some comment, and it was about breastfeeding. And I think the uh, the breastfeeding was, um, you know, he he di- he didn't want to see people breastfeeding. He thought it was awful. He thought it was atrocious, and it should only be attractive people doing it. And I thought, well, that kind of sums up local radio, doesn't it? That's why it's called local radio. It's because it's for so few people; it doesn't even rate. 
you know, it's, it's uh, you know, two people might be, oh, yes, well, I don't like breastfeeding. You know, everybody's got an opinion on, on breastfeeding, but you never say it should be bad or you never say that the people doing it are wrong because, you know, in their opinion, they're not wrong. But uh, to actually say that on the television is, you know, sorry, on, on the radio, I don't think you'll ever, ever make the, uh, the old television, is, is tantamount to scandalous. Exactly the same as uh, Newsnight openly gay presenter Evan Davis, accused of branding gays as promiscuous after claiming the Tinder dating app lets straight people behave like gay men. Is he on another planet or something? Where's this poor old soul coming from? He made the comparison as he introduced a piece of a magazine article which claimed Tinder encourages casual sex. Viewers criticised Mr Davis's explanations of how the mobile app works with gay comedian Matt Lucas describing it as pathetic. Absolutely agree with him. Evan Davis is probably just working on his own basis. I don't think he speaks for anybody at all. He really doesn't. What earth's going on with you, Evan? Do try and grow up. Stop being so silly. Makes you look ridiculous, honestly. It really does. Mamby-pamby on the television coming up with... Things like that. Uh, Elton John's out with uh, the boyfriend, David Furnish, and their two ki- their kids are growing up really fast. Zachary is now four. Four years old. Uh, here's this, uh, this DJ. His name's Alex Dyke. That's all I can tell you. He says that uh, unattractive mothers should be banned from breastfeeding in public. Now, I can understand people thinking, oh, let's say something that's controversial. You know, people say, oh, I'm sure, Steve, you've only said that for to be controversial. I never say anything to be controversial. I always only state my uh, my opinion. Alex Dyke said the practice was indulged by librarian-type moustached women. What is he saying? He claimed he was embarrassed after seeing a big girl breastfeeding on a bus and claimed yummy mummies. No, it's not a great look. But then he got a backlash from, from listeners. And so the BBC suspended him. He's facing calls... To be sacked. Oh, for goodness sake, don't be so stupid. You can't sack him for something like that. He's having an opinion. Admittedly, they don't normally have opinions. He said it was OK in the uh, in the Stone Age when we knew no better and people didn't even have their own teeth. <laughs> I mean, he's quite clearly trying to be sort of something controversial because he's on BBC Radio Solent. I think they broadcast from a phone box, ladies and gentlemen. I don't believe they've actually got an audience down there at all. But then lots of people... See, what happens is... Hardly anybody would have heard this, because BBC Radio Solent's audience, as I say, there must be more people sitting there twiddling their thumbs and listening to this this sort of thing. And uh, and so what happens is somebody then puts it up on the internet and then somebody else goes, oh, it's disgraceful, you know, he shouldn't be saying things like that. Because I shouldn't imagine that his programme's even got 6,000 people. And so then Nick Conrad was criticised for saying women should keep their knickers on during a discussion about rape. That's the trouble, you see, when you get uh, ill-informed presenters and presenters who don't have the skills and also who shouldn't have an opinion at all, coming up with something like this, he, he'll, he'll get suspended and then they'll, they'll put him back on again. Because otherwise, I think he's actually got a very good case in court to actually take them to court and sue them. You can't fire somebody for saying... Just because somebody doesn't agree with what you say, you can't fire somebody for that. That really isn't... A, it's not an actionable thing. Obviously, you know, because they, they, they get so frightened, the BBC. Oh, God. I mean, why, why do you think that the Great British Bake Off has got practically everybody from every minority? We've got gays, we've got Asians, we've got Muslims, we've got, you know, ma- muscle Marys, we've got butch women. You've got also, they've tried to pick somebody from everywhere so they cannot be accused of bias. They cannot be accused of bias. So, you know, so he said something that a few people didn't like. Well, kind of tough. Get over it. Nobody cares anymore. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. 
Morning, everybody. Codswallop. Absolute codswallop. The council has taken a bit of a battering. This is in the north of England, and it's the town of Rochdale, who are encouraging residents to turn their back on fish and chips amid an obesity crisis. And they're saying to the local uh, fish and chip shop owners, uh, in this case it's Anil Ozdemir, can you just do it steamed? Steamed fish on the chips. <laughs> oh, please. Don't be so ridiculous. So serve customers steamed fish to cut obesity. That's kind of... You can't beat fish and chips. I mean, I have to be honest. There isn't a substitute. Listen, people want to eat fish and chips because they love the batter. That's the whole thing about it. The fish is the boring bit. The batter's the best bit. It's like when you eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. Nobody likes the chicken. It's the crispy coating outside that Colonel Sanders probably killed himself with. You know, he was fairly obese, wasn't he? I mean, I don't uh, I don't really understand. I'm trying to think what Rochdale's famous for. Oh, wait a minute, of course. The MP for Rochdale, that's Simon Danshook, isn't it? Up until May, Karen Danshook. Oh, look, look at me, I'm pretty, I'm pretty. No, you're not. Look at me, I'm really pretty. You're really not. Look, I'm pretty, 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 pretty. No, you're really, really, really not. She was a councillor there too until May. So uh, they're obviously a bit barking mad up there, aren't they? So anyway, so steamed fish. Who can eat steamed fish in a box? It's all right having it for tea, but, you know, if you have the whole idea of fish and chips is you have it in a box, because it used to be a newspaper in my day and probably your day as well, and now, it, because then you could, you could eat your fish and chips and then read the paper at the same time. That was the whole idea. Then they went on to cutting bits of paper, and now it comes in a polystyrene box, which you're paying for. And so steamed fish. How boring. All, I mean, it's a fish and chip shop. They do deep frying. Do they now steam everything? I don't know. Uh, they, they've said in uh, Rochdale, there's a, it's only 11 miles from the reputed birthplace of fish and chips. And um, takeaway customers accuse the council of promoting a nanny state. Oh, tell them to stick it, for goodness sake. Who cares in Rochdale? I mean, it's not, I wouldn't take any notice of anything that any council has said. Seriously. And, and, and as for fish and chips, that's what you want to eat fish and chips for. In fact, I might even have fish and chips today. I don't know. That's how I feel. It's, it's something about the batter, isn't it? My, my favourite place used to be uh, down the road from me at a place called Hounslow Heath, which was very famous years ago, many, many years ago, for highwaymen. And at the entrance to Hounslow Heath, they used to have gibbets and they would hang the highwaymen on it. Shame they don't do it now. But, uh, but they, they sort of have them on there. But over the road was a fish and chip shop and it was a Chinese-run fish. They did the best batter. The batter on the fish and ch- it was just <gasps> to die for. The fish was the best fish. It was really, really, really good. And their batter, it was the same batter, I think, they used for their sweet and sour pork and sweet and sour chicken. And oh, Sorry, make himself hungry again. And it was delicious, absolutely delicious. And then, and then they, it changed hands and it went downhill. So I stopped going there. Dreadful story in the paper today, and I only mention it because I, I can't quite and couldn't quite get my head around it. Here is a care home worker called Christina Sethi. She's 25... She filmed herself sexually abusing dementia sufferers. I couldn't believe it either. A judge said her abuse exposed every family's worst fears about placing a loved one in care. Sethi of Torquay filmed herself, filmed herself abusing the two women and a man in their rooms and then sent the footage to her boyfriend. The brunette chose her victims because they were vulnerable and unable to complain or consent. Her first victim was a woman in her 80s with Alzheimer's and terminal cancer. She knew exactly what was wrong with her victims. 
and she was at the home to receive end-of-life care, and the defendant knew it. The second victim was a woman over 100, suffering from dementia, and who looked physically uncomfortable. And, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't really know what I want to do to this woman. She's gone to prison for ten years. I mean, it, it's, it's the worst case of abuse I've ever heard of. And uh, after she abused one of them for seven minutes, the victim said, what are you doing to me? I mean, and we've only sent her to prison for, for ten years. You'd be hanging, dear, as far as I was concerned, if I was running the court system. I mean, I, I just cannot absolutely get my head around somebody like this. Defending her, Jeff Segan said she's just 25, and despite what she did, she's not beyond redemption. Are you having a laugh or something? Beyond redemption. She sexually abuses dementia sufferers, one over a 100 years old, and she films it. This is a sick pervert, ladies and gentlemen. Ten years in prison. I hope they sort you out in there. I really do. I've got, I've got no time for people like that at all. I really, 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 really can't even get my head around it. If it was a member of my family, I'd be down there myself dealing with you. Um, at the height of his fame, his catchphrase was copied by millions. I ate you, butler. Yes, we loved him. And I still love the reruns on the television at the moment. Yes, the, uh, the hit... Series on the buses and the two films that resulted have now seen the passing of Stephen Lewis, a.k.a. Cyril Blakey Blake, at the age of 88. He brought laughter to generations. 69 to 73 on the buses. Three big screen incarn... Oh, three? I didn't know there were three, actually. Constantly clashing with Reg Varney, who went ages ago. Uh, then he went on to uh, star in Last of the Summer Wine. His great-niece, Rebecca Lewis, said he was always singing and joking. We want people to remember him. The actor's nephews, Peter Lewis, told The Standard his uncle's health had declined in recent years, but he died quite peacefully. So, uh, 88... I hate you, butler. He just had that look. I did a charity thing with him once... And uh, he was exactly the same as you would imagine him to be. Uh, Silla's funeral, they say, could go through uh, Liverpool and be televised. They're talking about the televising of it. Her sons are going to hold talks with city officials. Um, There's a slight problem, though, at the moment. They haven't released her body. Apparently, there's another autopsy, I think. Somebody was saying that there was something else. The the body is, is on its way to Liverpool... And uh, I think that what will happen is that they'll have this uh, thing and then she'll she'll be laid to rest. Her sons will be leading it. Uh, I should imagine there'll be lots of fans out there. Do you not think so for, for Scylla Black? Uh, the Daily Express are asking whether or not her funeral should be screened on television. I don't... I don't know. That's a, that's a difficult one for me. That is a difficult one for me. Because if you screen her funeral on the television, would you, would you screen, you know, uh, I hate you, butler, Stephen Lewis... Would you screen his... No, of course you wouldn't. So why would we for Scylla? Would we do it for anybody else? Have we done it for anybody else? I don't know. Or George Cole. We didn't do it for George Cole, did we? So I wonder, really, should it be... I mean, it's not... I'm going to say she's not royalty, but of course, in television terms, she's entertainment royalty. I don't know. I don't know. Do you think the people of, of Liverpool will turn out for that? Do you think they would? Some people, of course, said, you know, she was from, from Liverpool, but then she sort of went down south and then she became a, a southern Jessie, as they say. It's, uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Very interesting. Whenever I think of Rochdale, says Ian, I think of Lisa Stansfield. Yes, yes. Whenever I think of Rochdale, I think of... 
Nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. I can't think of anything, actually, from Rochdale that would sort of uh, sway me. I need to go up to these sort of places, don't I? I need to go and visit up north. But you know me, I'm not uh, I'm not big on the travelling up north. Um, in an episode of South Park, Tamara is shown as a huge orange lecherous monster. <laughs> I like that idea, actually. It's such a good... Pro- the Housewives of Orange County is so good. It's so easy to wind yourself up over it. It's fantastic. I could literally sit there. I started watching it yesterday, and I start sending out texts on it, because it was, it's, it's like an outlet, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Moya is in Halifax, Halifax, up north. Apparently, the co-op started up there, says Kevin, in 1848. Useless information, you're quite right. Uh, Patricia in Wallington wants to know what a muscle Mary is. Evan Davis would be classed as a muscle Mary. <laughs> that's what that's what they're known as in circles. Muscle Marys. It's sort of it's sort of it's sort of gay men with muscles. They call them muscle Marys. That's all I can tell you. It's uh, it's well known parlance, as they say. Um, another one here. Ian says I'd rather listen to an opinionated Steve Allen than a bland, boring BBC presenter scared of the thought police monitoring their every word. And. Uh, uh, Jenny says, Radio Solon is actually a very good station. I know, it's it's just a shame it's down there, isn't it, really? Best place, you know, for it. He's never likely to go anywhere else. Uh, Alex only makes these comments to wind up the listeners. Hmm? Kind of backfired then, didn't it, really, if he's been suspended? Winding up the listeners. Oh, yes, let's kill everybody, shall we? <laughs> I love the idea that they've suspended. They don't know what to do down there. Oh, God, somebody said something. What are you going to do? I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What's your damage limitation? Suspend him. Suspend him quickly. 6,000 people on the internet have complained that they want, it. They want him fired. He'll never be fired. I'd be, ser- I'd be seriously surprised if he was fired for having an opinion on something. It wasn't like he said, let's go and kill all these people and gave out names and addresses of women who were breastfeeding. You know, all he had was an opinion. It's like saying, you know, I think we should kill all people with spots. You know, it's just so ludicrous as to be laughable. And, you know, and when he said, oh, they've got to be attractive, it's all right. It's a stupid thing to say. But it's got him suspended, so he won't be earning any money for about a week or so while they all faff around. There'll be a lot of ladies in twin set and pearls down there, I should imagine, and probably sort of board of governors. Well, I don't know. I didn't listen to him the other week. I was listening to Radio 4, and they never mentioned it at all. They didn't do, uh, they didn't do the breastfeeding at all, because my grandmother did it a long time ago. So what are we going to do with him? Shall we, shall we give him a rap on the knuckles and, uh, and apologise to everybody and say he'll never say it ever again? Let's do that one, shall we? Uh, Vicar, all right with you? Yes, fine. Anybody else want to talk about tits? Anybody? Anybody in the room? <laughs> just, you can just see them down there. They don't know what to do. It's the, it's the most it's the most news that Radio Solent have ever had. People are talking about Radio Solent. Up until now, they were, they were sort of happily under the radar. Nobody knew what they were doing down there. Now we know that they don't like... Well, one, one presenter doesn't like people who breastfeed. But I should imagine, actually, you know, actually in Radio Solent. Actually, I'll tell you what we could do, girls. We could actually get a huge party together and go and sit outside the studio window and all lob our bits out and start breastfeeding. How about that, eh? Vic, Vic, Vic there's people outside. That, get blinds, get blinds, get blinds. We can't have this going on down here. Whatever next. But that, that's, what, that's what does it, you see. One half of them we were saying it's drawn attention to us. The other half of it was, I mean, I don't know what Radio Solon to do with me at all. I think they'd, they'd probably all throw themselves into the sea. I think they'd have to. They would absolutely have to sort of go, we cannot cope with Steve Allen. Apparently, BBC Radio Kent has a a window looking in from a shopping centre in Tunbridge Wells, the millionaire's playground of Tunbridge Wells. I went to Tunbridge Wells once. It's actually quite pretty. 
You know, if you like that kind of thing. A lot of elderly people there. So, of course, I'd fit in brilliantly. Absolutely brilliantly. Look at the time, honestly. Not that we care. Not that we care. It's Friday. I really don't care on a Friday. I've got no intention. Actually, I'm not even going to tell you what the time is. I am, really. No, I'm not. Quarter to nine. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Uh, nice to have your uh, company this morning. There's uh, a cash for crash fraud gang who made 167 grand from fictional road accidents after stealing the details of care home residents. Yes, 300 bogus claims. Here they are, the ringleaders, Isra Hussein, Shazad Shad. We're kind of seeing a pattern emerging here, aren't we? From West Yorkshire, four and a half years in prison. prison. Committing fraud and money laundering. Other gang members, Mohammed Taj, 41, Ansar Mahmood, 31. It's the kind of thing you're going to read in Penman's column. In the uh, in the Daily Mirror, one of my favourite columns, as you know, and the reason it's one of my favourite columns is because it exposes people who are who are frauds. And uh, we had a woman yesterday benefit fraud, car crashing for money, wizened old bag she was. Paul Easton enjoys the uh, the housewives of Orange County and reckons that the tweets from this show are actually much better than Gogglebox. We're actually having to watch the program. So there you go. Actually, I believe some interesting things are heading your way, Paul. Uh, my friend Ryan has just got in from a gig. He works one of our sister stations up in uh, Nottingham. And it's ten to, he's just got in from a gig at 10 to 5 in the morning. What sort of clubs are open at 10 to 5 in the morning, I ask you? Have you ever heard anything like it? Um, but people must be exhausted. He says, I've just got in from DJing. Owe you a bottle of Prosecco. Well, there's fat chance of that arriving, isn't there, down the telephone? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could do it, if there was some system, almost like the TARDIS, whereby you have the phone and you aim it at an orange, and the orange dematerialises and then reappears the other end? Think of the fun, eh, Ryan, we could have with things like that. You could be, I could say, listen, I'm just about to have fish and chips, zap, and then it appears your end, and the fish and chips... That, how, what fun that would be. Wouldn't that be just great? Just got in from DJing. Hope you got some money for it. How much does DJing pay now? I, I know it's it's sort of it's. I know that some people can earn a small fortune. DJ. Oh wait a minute. DJing. And uh, so, owe you a bottle of prosecco. Okay. What? What? Um, and then he sent me a picture here, but it's got a click on it. I'm not sure it's going to make any noise, and I'm frightened too because I get into trouble if my phone goes off in the studio. <laughs> I'll have a look at it later. It sounds great. I hope it's, hope it's something nice to look at. I hope so, as we've had in the past. But uh, fancy getting in now. That means if you're in now and you've just got in from, from doing a gig, that means there's other people who've been out to the gig, so they're, they're probably still still eating kebabs. So five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You're not going to get up till lunchtime. Doesn't that really screw up the day? All these people who listen to this programme, who are DJing and on their way back from somewhere... Because I know people who work overnight in this building, but when they finish, they go home to bed. Whereas I've been to bed, so I'm I'm awake now. Well, for as much as the day I, as as I can manage, but I'm I'm hopefully going to stay awake for quite a while today. Well, that's the idea. That's the idea. Well, while you're still there and you're in one piece, Ryan, we'll give you a, a little rundown of what the papers are saying. The other day, yesterday, we were talking on the programme about poor old Sarah Ferguson bleating on television about, you know, oh, I've lost four stone because I used to laugh. You know, I used to cry when people just called me Fat Fergie and all this kind of thing. Because she was. She was Fat Frumpy Fergie. And uh, she's tried everything, as you know. I mean, let's face it. You know, she's had Nordic walking exercise regimes, boiled broccoli, venison breakfasts, 
soup diet, the period of celebrity calorie counting with Weight Watchers, which she was paid 1.4 million. And what does it come down to? It's a simple old liquidizer, ladies and gentlemen. And Sarah Ferguson, that old fraud, stood on television and uh, and said, you know, I, there's wonderful, you wonderful American people, you've taken me and given me a second chance. And I thought, second chance from what? Second chance from you raking in the cash, love. Second, second chance, and also you've given me and my, my daughters a second chance. What, your lazy, good-for-nothing daughters? What second chance? What garbage does this woman spout? The answer is anything she can think of. And here she is now living in Verbier in a £13 million chalet. Where the hell did you get that money from, love? Where did that come from? Thirteen million from you having to scrape a living on the television, advertising a a liquidizer. No, 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 no. I don't believe a word of it, and neither does Jan Moyer, as she says I can't take any more of Fergie's blubbing about her blubber. Yes, I mean of course, but the Americans like that. Oh, she's connected to the royal family. Not anymore, she's not. Thirteen million for a chalet. You can go to Southall. You can get a shed. It's about one thousand three hundred quid. That's all she needs. Thirteen million pounds. Her and I think one of the ghastly daughters, I think it might be Eugenie, is going to be living there as well. I can't remember which one it is who doesn't work. Oh, sorry, it's not, both of them, isn't it? Both of them. And then Mummy turns up on QVC, so not really classy at all, is it? Much as I love the QVC presenters. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of QVC. I don't anybody writing in going, oh, Steve Allen doesn't like QVC. I study these programmes avidly. I'm waiting for my ex-host to arrive today. Very exciting. 120 foot of expanding hose, ladies and gentlemen. How complete is my life? How complete is my life? In blue. In blue. Which I'm very excited about. So it means I can just do everything. Uh, Mark says, Rochdale, of course, Steve, and you and about 300 other people have told me, it's where Cyril Smith managed to get himself into a whole heap of trouble. Yes, but of course, as he's dead and buried, in about four graves, I should imagine, uh, he's exempt from that. So he died not knowing that things would surface. Because I'm assuming that people think that when you die, it dies with you. Not so in the case of Edward Heath. Because the Wiltshire police, most exciting thing so far, horse loose on motorway. Now all of a sudden they've got the Edward Heath abuse allegations to deal with. And the woman who apparently supplied him with the rent boys says, no, no, no. These, these were young men. They weren't children. He was paying 500 quid a time, and I tried to work out what we thought 500 pounds would be. The equivalent, roughly, of about three or four thousand pounds for a rent boy. She must have been the most expensive pimp in the world. Three grand? You've only got to go to any old nightclub, six pints, they'll trot home with you. It's not difficult. Dear me. And so, but as I say, he's dead, so you can say just about. Anything now, can't you? The smoking in pubs is going down well here. You can't smoke in nightclubs then, can you now? So, that must be a bit of an odd one, because I remember smoking in nightclubs years and years ago. And so, I should imagine, it's all about the dancing, isn't it? All about the moves. It's all about the shapes. Things like that that you create on the dance floor. It's all changed since my day. All changed since my day. Now now people mix. And I've seen some of Ryan's stuff, because he's sort of showed me what it looks like. And it's all the lights, isn't it? And <laughs> And mixing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's very sophisticated. I couldn't do it for love nor money. But uh, but I, I, I like watching people do it. I couldn't bear the... I'd have to sit there with earplugs in. I couldn't, I couldn't do it without earplugs. <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, why Scylla... Uh, why is not Scylla being put with her husband, says Carol? Because he was cremated, dear. Be slightly difficult. Slightly difficult. And according to a, a survey the other day, nightclubs are closing. Uh, there used to be... 
in 20, 2005, 3,144 clubs. It's now down to 1,733. Because they actually say that if there are more of these clubs that close, the UK will be worse off culturally, socially and economically. It classes a club as a place meant for late-night entertainment, usually music and dancing. So funny, I mean, some of the places I used to work at, you know, I mean, it's a challenging place, I think, clubs now in 2015. Because if he's only just got in from DJing at, you know, 10 to 5 in the morning, I mean, I have heard that there are London clubs that open at 5 in the morning and go all the way through the day. I mean, dear God, I mean, that's completely, completely wear people out. Completely wear, wear people out. But I know that some of these DJs can make an awful lot of money. I mean, thousands. It's nothing for people to go out to uh, Pasha or wherever it is in Ibiza. They can earn literally twenty, thirty thousand pounds £30,000 for a gig. Some even more. Some even more. Avicii, I should imagine, could probably go out for serious money. You know, I mean, you know, you, you sort of laugh about it and we go, good heavens above, driving a tube, 50 grand a year. Good Lord, no. No, private gigs. You know, for for some of these uh, the these DJs, hundred and twenty five thousand quid. Listen, if people will pay for Dynamo, twenty five thirty thousand pounds, you know that's it. So private gigs and parties, big business, big business. Kylie Minogue is doing a party in Dubai. What's it paying? Two point two million pounds. There are people who would have, uh, you know, somebody. I mean, if you want, uh, say you know, Elton John, you can probably get Robbie Williams, when he's not off searching for UFOs, because he's balmy bonkers, about a million quid. I think the Rolling Stones played a Texan billionaire 60th birthday party for 3.5 million. I mean, there is money out there for the top end of the scale. I mean, can you imagine, if you are a billionaire, if you're a fat boy slim, could cost anything from 25 to 125,000 for a private party. That's how much money there is in things like this. And it's, and it's lots of people, some of them you've never even heard of. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean you, you could actually get somebody like uh, DJ Semtex or the tag team of Ace and Viss. You could probably pick up two hours there for about 500 quid in addition to a booking fee. It's, it's if you're going to the top end of the scale. Over in America, they've got America's Got Talent and we have two Brits through at the moment. One is Paul Zerdin with his uh, doll Sam. He's a fantastic ventriloquist. And the other is Piff the Magic Dragon. They've both gone through and both done tremendously well. And they were getting the votes. You need to check them out on YouTube. Both members of the Magic Circle. And uh, one I've used in my Magic... In fact, I've used them both in my Christmas show at the Magic Circle. Apparently, the Kings of Leon once got paid a million pounds for doing a New Year's gig. And that was for Roman Abramovich. I mean, a million pounds. Frightening, isn't it? Coming up to the news at five o'clock, it's LBC. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. It's Friday the 14th of August. You're very welcome. It's the the day that Lord Janna is expected in court. They've tried to get it overturned, but the courts have said no. He will turn up today or they'll issue a warrant for his arrest. Bob Cole says, I will die today at 2pm. This is a man, I'll tell you the story a little bit later on, who is going out to... Dignitas. He wants to end his life. He will die at 2pm today. Uh, his wife died as well, and his final wish is to get the law changed. Beware data costs on holiday hell. It's your telephone. It can cost you a small fortune. And the whale that begged for help. All of that and more this morning on LBC. 
on Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Friday. It's the 14th of August. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Kerry Katona's husband in the paper today held for robbery. She apparently doesn't know a thing about it. Bob Cole, I'll tell you about in a moment. He's on his last journey today to the Swiss Suicide Clinic. He's going to die today at 2pm. He has to go there because you can't do it anywhere else. Uh, Greville Janner ordered to court today. If he doesn't go, they'll issue a warrant for his arrest. Beware the data costs when you're on your phone on holiday. It can rack up something chronic. Uh, banning smoking outside pubs and schools. Liza Minnelli to play the Palladium with Brucey. It's a question and answer. And get your wellies out. It's going to get wetter. Having talked about nightclubs a minute ago, my friend uh, Ryan, who's got back in from his nightclub, uh, Dan... Uh, he says, I'm a nightclub manager. I think in Hereford. I think so. He said, me and my team are listening in the office. I suppose it's a way of winding down. When you've listened to music all night, your ears must be ringing. It's like... <laughs> when, you, when you've actually... Done... The funny thing is, I used to work in nightclubs years and years ago, and I, I quite enjoyed it. It was a sort of a means to an end. But in my day, you know, you had to talk. And nowadays, it's all mixing. I don't think people speak anymore in nightclubs. Nightclubs. Makes it sound quite old-fashioned, doesn't it, really? There again, I suppose I am. Uh, Cliff Richards' new CD is Amazon's biggest mover and shaker. Now at uh, 15 in sales ranking. Could make number one. He's on tour, isn't he? He's on tour and uh, will no doubt do very well indeed. Uh, other ones, I'm trying to get a few more in tonight. Actually, I've got a lot of friends of mine who work on these super casino shows on the telly. They like things like that. Whereas I sort of sit there thinking, do people really bet on a computer? Th- and the answer is they do. You watch the money going on and they go, and we've given away since January 140 million. You think, blimey, not surprised people open up casinos. Uh, Kevin in Luton, poor soul, honestly, he says, after living down on the south coast... Uh, For a while, my local station was Solent. It was dreadful, like the area it served. Chav Central. Ironic, really, as Solent is an anagram of stolen. I wish somebody had stolen the radio equipment. It was terrible listening. Uh, Beverly in West Drayton says, uh, Gracie Fields, didn't she come from Rochdale? Did she? Sally, Sally, pride of the rally. I don't know, actually. She might, I don't, some, somebody else, Christine in Newcastle, thinks she did, so that's good. And, uh, and somebody says, uh, we don't need newspapers. We've already heard it before from Steve. Neither do we need the courts. Steve could be our Lord High Executioner. I'm afraid I would be. I'm afraid I would be the worst judge in living memory. I would be, take them out and hang them. I'm seriously, I, I wouldn't want to put up with, sort of, you know, so when you had that dreadful story uh, before the news of that woman who worked in a care home, in a care home, dear God, and she abused three people and filmed the sexual abuse and then sent it on to her boyfriend, and all we've given her is ten years, you know she'll be out in about four. Well, frankly, I mean, <laughs> I want to make sure we're standing outside the gates with a film crew, really. Uh, they will be not standing outside Dignitas with a film crew today for a guy called Bob Cole. He's decided to end his life at Dignitas in Switzerland uh, after a month-long cancer fight. He has uh, terminal cancer. His, uh, his wife died there 18 months ago. And uh, Bob has asked the Sun newspaper to document his final journey. He said last night, I should be able to die with dignity in my own country, in my own bed. The law needs to change. And so he says, I saw my wife die gracefully at Dignitas. I have no wish to go in pain without dignity. He said, but you know, because you, you understand how Dignitas works and, uh, and exactly how it will be done. He'll have to administer the drugs himself. 
They are not allowed to help him in any way, shape or form. There are uh, there are laws and there are rules. And uh, on his last night, beer and a veg curry. Sounds nice. Uh, sounds lovely. Uh, he will drink. He will arrive at the clinic in good time so that the process can be talked through and any questions he have may be answered. Because they're hardly going to open the door and go, how are you then? They're not going to be saying that, are they, at Dignitas? I, you know, I don't know what the procedure is. I've seen people who have... Uh, died, and I'm sure I, I, perhaps I did see something at Dignitas. But uh, eventually he will drink the lethal prescription. All the deaths are videoed, and uh, they supervise the people there, they're trained carers. They supervise each event, and they stay behind to deal with the police and the undertakers. And it's a procedure which they've been through many, many, many times before. I think, in, you know, last year alone. There were more than, I think, nearly about 150 assisted suicides. And they came from all over the world, mainly from Germany. 80 people last year had assisted suicides at Dignitas. France, 35. Great Britain, 29. Canada, 11. Italy, 10. And America, 7. Then it goes through Switzerland, Israel, Austria and um, Czech Republic. And so nearly, nearly 200 people. Uh, and you pay for it. It's not It's not a free service. You have to pay. And they explain to you what goes on. He's been there before, so he knows exactly. And he can tell you exactly why he chose the suicide clinic. He's terminal. He doesn't want to die in, in any pain or anything like that. So he's uh, he said, I've, I've made that decision, that I want to die with dignity. He'll have, uh, you know, friends. The son will probably accompany him there. And uh, no doubt tomorrow there will be pictures. They uh, Whether they're allowed to take pictures of him dying, I do not know. I remember when I watched the television programme on it, they had a man, and it was in his last throes, but at the moment of death, they the cameras pulled away, and so you could only see him from uh, from a distance. I don't think you're allowed to show those those kind of things. It's also, it's, 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 it's somebody's private moment, isn't it? That's the, that's the moment where you go, and I know that uh, Darren was talking about it earlier on, because uh, both my parents died, seem to have lost most of our family actually over the years, and uh, and the older you get, you do see that you see more and more people dying. And I don't think anybody in our family, touch wood, least of all my parents, died in any sort of pain. I don't think so. My mother was on morphine at the end, and my father, I think, was just a heart attack. But uh, my mum was uh, was on morphine. And uh, I think she had as, as peaceful end as it's likely to be. It depends what you think about it, doesn't it? It depends what you want to happen. It depends what you what you think you're going on to. You know, I remember saying to the people in the uh, in the hospice where my mother was, and she'd only been in there a short while, less than a week, and uh, and they said, you know, she has to let go. They have this thing about letting go because people, I think, fight it. You know, you know that, uh, that you know, you're not in a, in a good position. What you think about, I don't know. Whether or not your life flashes in front of your eyes, I don't know. I've not been in that situation before. But uh, as people get towards the end, then they stop eating, they stop drinking, and they, they slow right down. And uh, that was the case of my mother. Uh, so I don't think she was in any pain. I would like to think she wasn't in any pain. This man doesn't want to get to that stage. So he's chosen the same place as his, his wife. It's quite a brave thing, and I think people like to share it. I think people want to share it, because we're not very good at talking about death in this country. In fact, to be brutally honest with you, we're absolute rubbish. Other, other cultures seem to, uh, to talk about it all the time and can deal with it. We can't. We're, terribly, we're afraid of it, aren't we? We're afraid of, you know, you say to somebody, have you ever seen a body? And they go, no. Why would you want to see a body? And you go, right, oh, you've never had sort of friends or, you know, relatives die? And they go, no. Well, yes. 
And did you not go and see them? No. Why not? Because we're frightened of it. We're frightened of something we don't know about. I can remember going to see my father after he, he died. But I asked, everybody asked the same question. Is he okay? Does he look all right? You know, you worry, don't you? I don't know why you ask stupid questions. It's because you're probably not thinking properly. He's not cold, is he? You know, is he, is he all right? He's, you know, he's, he's sort of got blankets over him and everything else. Yes, he's fine. He looks great. And that's the sort of thing. You know, what, what this man wants to do, and he won't be the last. He certainly isn't the first. You know, he wants Brits to be allowed to die with dignity. And, and that's all you want, isn't it? The end of your life. Some people won't. Some people won't. But, you know, people now are saying, you know, yes, we want to die with dignity because you're going from this world to the next world to whatever you happen to believe in. So, in effect, it's it's quite a brave thing to think that when he takes this journey today, that will be the last time that he'll see trees, the last time he'll see certain things, he'll, he'll see people's faces. They will, they will be with him at the end, those, those people, the person who administers, you know, the, uh, the fatal drink that he will take himself with no help whatsoever. He'll remember those people. That will be the image, probably the image of his wife. It could be all sorts of things. But you are finishing your life here. Whether or not you believe you go to something else, whether or not you believe that there is an afterlife, like Scylla Black saying she always believed that she was going to see Bobby again, and I always believed in my mind. It was my thought, it wasn't anybody else's thought, that my mum would be with my dad again. That's what you hope, isn't it? Because you want somebody to go somewhere and to be happy. You want them to go and be where they were the happiest. And that would be, you know, with the person they spent most of their life with. And, uh, and this guy, Bob, says, how many more must suffer before MPs have the guts to listen to the people? Well, until it affects them, Bob. That's what it is. He went to a, a demo last November talking about the law needs to change. And um, it, it will change eventually. Won't be in your lifetime. Probably not in my lifetime either. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate that he has to travel all the way to Switzerland to Dignitas. It's not a big plush apartment. Far from it. It's very, very ordinary. It's there to serve a purpose. You know, there's no, what's the point of having a big flash apartment with beautiful furniture and stuff like that? Very simply furnished. Very simply furnished. And so that's where at two o'clock today he will, uh, he will take that, that fatal drink and uh, then he will go off to the happy hunting ground where hopefully he will bump into his wife. And the sun will no doubt record it and no doubt tomorrow they will take you on that journey. So you know because he's not the only one in that position. There will be hundreds and hundreds of people probably listening to this programme at the moment thinking, you know, I don't want to get to that stage. I want to be able to die peacefully. I want to be able to die with my friends around me. Whether or not you can take friends to Dignitas, I don't know. I don't think it's like a party or anything like that. I don't think you say, could we provide canapes for 12 people? Because that's what you'd want to do. So I think what you do the night before you go there, that's when you see your friends and that's... uh, and that's, and that's where you sort of say your final goodbyes. It's a difficult thing. It's very difficult. Put yourself in the same situation and you'll suddenly realise it's, it's not as cut and dried as you think it is. I know that Darren had some very uh, moving calls overnight, so you can check out his podcast. It's on the LBC podcast app. And then you can hear what other people are saying. This man is not alone. But as I say, we're absolute rubbish, aren't we? Talking about death. We're absolute rubbish about, you know, dealing with things but his wife died he's probably in a very very sad place at the moment you know he lost her 18 months ago she died and now he's going to make that journey from chester to escape the uk laws which ban assisted suicide and he's going to go out there and he's paid and at two o'clock this afternoon his life will end it's quarter past five Steve Allen's early breakfast. Funny, Steve, there are no restrictions in Vegas. You can smoke everywhere, the bars, the clubs and the casinos. Yes, except where it serves food. 
And it's been since about 2007, you can smoke anywhere. Well, there's so much money available. Why would they worry about people smoking? To be honest with you, it's the only place I've ever been to where you go in there and there are people sitting at fruit machines with oxygen cylinders connected up to themselves. Seriously. I've no, and, and you go up to bed, you come down the they're still there. I'm assuming they've died in the night, but you can smoke, provided it's not a, a food area. And uh, Mark says, uh, rows of houses for old Fergie, pound each. Yeah, the tr- who wants to live there, Mark? I mean, it's Liverpool, for goodness sake. I mean, you know, I don't know. <laughs> a pound each. Kevin and Luton, so again. What's going on in Luton this morning? Obviously nothing, I suspect. He says, um, he says, I think it's great you're talking so frankly about death. People in this country never talk about death. Well, we're rubbish with it. We're frightened. We're frightened of death. I'm frightened of death. I mean, I was, I was sort of not brought up with it, but uh, when I used to work in a, in a department store years ago, they had a funeral director in there. It was part of the... It, a bit like working for the co-op. And at 15 years old, we would go down and sometimes we would help the, uh, the undertaker lift the, um, the polypropylene coffins out of the hearse to put them into the chapel of rest. So I'd seen a number of... Um, of dead people before it didn't it doesn't sort of bother me i mean different when you see your own parents as you can well imagine and uh, and that's you know just i mean i just thought that was an odd thing i think because it, we were prepared for my mother we weren't prepared for my dad but you know you've all been through it and the older you get you will go through it i mean i'm lucky that my parents lived you know and had the life that they had they weren't very old my mum my dad was only i think 52 when he died so, I mean, that's ridiculously early. I mean, it seems, it seems ages ago now, and it's, you think, 52? Good God in heaven. Mum was 62. So, but I like to think that they are together. Whether secretly I believe that, I don't know, but that's just, you know, the kind of thoughts that you harbour, isn't it? 84850steve at lbc.co.uk. We shall weave everything in this morning, because uh, it's in the papers. Uh, Richard says, we used to have a chippy up north back in the 90s. Great little business. We had three part-time staff. You could pay them out of the profit margin we made on mushy peas. We paid about £4 for a huge 25-kilogram sack of dried peas, soak them overnight, boil them to... and then knock them out for 60p a tub. I hate mushy peas. When I went up north one time, they, they, wanted, they wanted to know if I had gravy on there. Gravy on chips. Can't think of anything worse. I used to, I mean, just, just, just chips, I think, by themselves. But fish and chips, this is after in Rochdale, the council have decided that fish and chips is really bad because it's really fat-making and all the rest of it. And so they've said that the fish and chip shop should serve steamed fish. I think the council should stick their nose somewhere else, worry about what's going on on their own doorstep, make it a lot easier. Uh, Nick says Barbara Windsor worked with uh, Stephen Lewis in the film Sparrows Can't Sing. Her, uh, his brief appearance in the film was as a caretaker of a block of flats, but more importantly, he wrote a play on which the, uh, the film was based. At the time, both Barbara Windsor and Stephen Lewis were members of Joan Littlewood's Theatre Workshop in Theatre Royal Stratford East, where the play was first performed. Joan Littlewood also directed the film. A little-known fact. Yes, I mean, Barbara's, I mean, her, her recall is fantastic. I mean, she remembers all these people, as indeed you would imagine she would, because that's been her entire life. Her entire life. And yet, funny thing is, and I've always said it to her and, uh, and to Scott, that their, their house isn't at all show busy. You know, if it, my, my house is more show busy than her place. I've got theatre posters on every bit of wall. I've got memorabilia. I've got, you know, theatre posters. I've got programmes. I've got everything. 
And I think Barbara has just got, I think it's a portrait of her by a guy called Stephen, who did this, he's, he's done a couple of really good things, and I think that's the only thing in there. I'm trying to remember when I was around there a few weeks back. But uh, not, not at all theatrical, nothing from the carry-on days. Because in those days, you just did it, you just got on with it, and you didn't think about saving it. If I thought about saving every single piece of LBC memorabilia, I mean, I have got a lot of the poster campaigns which have been framed up. I have got, you know, a little bit. But if I'd saved all the T-shirts, all the jackets and everything else, you could open a museum. Seriously, you could open a museum on, on the stuff that uh, that we've had over the years, which was good. Uh, 84850, I was just thinking, says Steve, uh, you do have a point about Lewis Hamilton. And maybe that's why he's two times Formula World champion. When you think about it, there are quite a few sports stars out there who are boring and doer outside their field of speciality. For example, Steve Davis. Best ever snooker player. Boring. I know. He was known as Steve Interesting Davis, wasn't he? Uh, Gary Neville. You know, his, uh, his 2014 World Cup commentary was dead as a cemetery. Hence many complaints. Andy Murray, without doubt, our best tennis player. But uh, to be honest with you, off court sounded like a flatlining ECG machine. Alan Shearer. You know, his punditry on Match of the Day is stronger than, than Propofol. And don't even get me started on Wayne Rooney. I know, perhaps, it, perhaps that's what it is. You probably hit the nail on the head. It is probably the most boring people. Are th- oh, Phil Neville, not Gary. Gary's actually quite quite good. Make sure I get it right, you know. If I'm going to start talking about football on the programme, <laughs> not. Although, surprisingly, I did used to do a football programme, which many people find quite amazing. Uh, 84850, uk as we weave everything in. And um, another one here. Actually, I'm still trying to find out if anything was happening with Greg's. You remember the story of Greg's. I'm not letting it drop. I'm really not letting it drop because I'm, I'm a bit hot on things like that. I'm a bit, a bit sneaky-peaky. And uh, this was the, uh, the Greggs in Twickenham. I'm not referring to any other Greggs. Where, for some inexplicable reason, the woman behind the counter cannot ring anything up. And it's an electro- electronic till. It should all be on there. But, um, as I say, when I was in there, I've been there a few times. Every time she's been in there by herself, she's not rung anything up. And that, that to me, looks, looks slightly odd. Slightly odd. Other stories in the papers for today. What have we got now? This is... Um, I, I got a thing the other day. Did you get a thing as well on the internet? I thought it was a joke where you could get an Apple phone for a pound. You had to go onto this website. Apparently a subsidiary of Apple's. It all looked highly dodgy to me. Put in your email address and then send a pound and they send you an Apple iPhone. I thought... <laughs> I wasn't too sure about that, actually. It, it did sound a little bit, uh, a little bit strange. Little bit strange. Uh, Katie Hopkins talking about time chubsters made to pay their weight. She thinks Bex. She's obviously been listening to me, as per usual. Katie Hopkins says David Beckham has not reacted well to criticism of his daughter with a dummy still rammed in her mouth. He says his daughter was poorly. And if people don't know the full details, they shouldn't sit and make judgments. And uh, Katie says, as I did, Bex, you inked bundle of loveliness. You make your living out of the world watching you. You can't dictate a soft filter for the lens as well. Which is what I said, you know, if you think the kitchen's too hot, go in another room, Dave. Okay? You milk the publicity of everything. If you don't want it to be talked about... Don't post the pictures. All right, matey? Uh, there is a family who've gone against my advice completely. I said, why on earth is anybody going to the island of Kos? And so here's a couple. It's Hol on Earth. And they've got this poor couple here, the Biggs. She's got tattoos. He's got tattoos. The daughter just looks miserable. One of those squashed, squashed faces. And because they're so full of migrants, 
who have, who have come in from, from Syria, by the look of it. That's kind of a worry, isn't it? And uh, they said, we're, we're not coming back here ever again. I don't know why you went there in the first place. You've known about this for weeks. Why did you not cancel the holiday? Why did you not go to the tour operator and say, we're not going there. We don't want to go to Kos. Send us somewhere else, you know, because you know what, what's going on over there. And, uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not good at all. What was this one here? Oh, yes, the, the data thing. I have to tell you this because my godson was talking to his girlfriend on his phone over in Turkey for an, about an hour every night. Now, how much this has cost, I've got no idea. But holidaymakers could pay hundreds more if you pick the wrong phone roaming tariff. Web usage costs vary massively between networks and even for deals on the same firm. One charges more than 80 times more than its standard rate than for its cheapest. One megabyte of data, about 10 web pages or a minute of a song, is capped at 17 pence. Over outside the EU, £12.50. OK. Uh, an album downloaded in Egypt can cost a fan, wait for it, £1,500, whilst a US visitor was was billed £212 to upload 10 pics to Facebook. Be warned, be warned. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm frightened to use my phone abroad, so I try not to use it. I try not to use it. But there is the danger that you might have to at some point. So uh, just be careful. Just be, If in doubt, take the phone away from the kids. I know it won't be popular, but to be honest with you, you're going to come back with a huge phone bill and you're going to be going, whoa, we didn't know about it. And the phone company's going to say, did Steve Allen not tell you on LBC on his early breakfast show? And they'll be going, I think he mentioned something about it. Be warned, be warned. Oh, Caroline Flack, single again. Thank God for that. World's worst television presenter. How she ever gets any of these gigs is totally beyond me. Really? I mean, she's... I don't know how old she is. 40, 50? Difficult to tell, really. But uh, she's she's still, you know, drudge. It's like Dermot O'Dreary coming back on the Beeb on a Saturday night when they dropped him from the X Factor because, frankly, they needed an injection of somebody who knew what the God's name they were doing. 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's nice to be company. It's Friday. And I bet you're just breathing that sigh of relief, aren't you, going, thank goodness it's Friday. Is it going to rain today, Steve? I'll tell you in a moment. Maddie says, I think it's great that you're talking about death and dying with dignity. This is the story on the front of The Sun, the uh, the man who's, uh, he's, he's literally got weeks to live. His name's Bob Cole, and he's going to Dignitas today. Uh, and he uh, he will drink the drink, and today he will die at 2pm. That's his That's his time slot as they say, and the sun are going to follow him, and they will no doubt talk about it tomorrow. Maddie says it's so important for people to be able to choose for themselves how they end their lives. Exactly. I mean, you know, if I got to that stage where I thought I was going to suffer or I thought I was going to be sort of incapacitated in any way, shape or form, having been... I was, I was tempted to say an active life, but, of course, an active life is not something you have when you spend most of your time sitting on your bottom, chatting away into a microphone. But it, it, it is true that you should have that choice at the end of your life. I don't want to suffer. I want to make sure that none of my friends have to suffer with watching me going through that. That's why it's, it's so important that what he's talking about, people absorb. Personally, says Maddie, I don't have a problem talking about death, but you're so right when you say how terrible we are as a nation, even to the point of avoiding talking to those who are grieving because we just don't know what to say. Yes, that, that was always my... Um, not my bugbear, but I remember coming back after my mother died and people just say, oh, hi, Steve, sorry. And, and nobody says anything else. 
except for one of the guys who worked for, for LBC at the time, and his father had died. So we were able to sort of talk about how the funeral went and, you know, how they looked at the end. All these silly things, just silly things, but it made it easier than everybody else saying. Oh, people just tended to kind of avoid you, which was probably easier. Uh, I was right about Scylla. The inquest was held up the other day because it turned out that, uh, that her body wasn't in the city, which is in line with uh, the hearing rules. Uh, she was... In transit, as they say, close to Merseyside the other day. The funeral service held on August the 20th and then shall be buried alongside her parents in a private ceremony. But the church service, I think, will be open to many people. Every Sunday morning on LBC, I am here. I'm here just to keep you company, just to make sure that we, we've managed to make it through all the wind and the rain and all the other blooming things that have gone on. And uh, this time round, In Conversation is with you every Sunday between five and six. Two well-known people come in and, uh, and we have a conversation. And this week we go from the sublime to the ridiculous. And I mean that in the nicest possible way, because uh, my first guest this week uh, is a comedienne known for working alongside French and Saunders in uh, Girls on Top. She also got an OBE for services to mental health in April, following her own battle with depression. And as she tells me, when Ruby Wax was a young girl growing up in America, she'd often sing whilst out canoeing. I have a, a myriad of camp songs that if things go wrong here, I could sing, dip, dip and swing, my bows and arrows flashing like silver. People can't see that I'm doing the no. canoe. No, is so this what you had to sing at the camp? Oh, so many songs, yeah. Oh. They call it Camp Bagawak in Wisconsin, near Minocqua, USA, down by ours. I'm strong oh. for Camp Bagawak. Is this bad? A-G-A-W-A-K. That wow. Counts. Yeah, this could go on for about yeah, a day yeah, and yeah. a half. I, yeah, I could see. We, we just did Ging Gang Gooly Gooly. Yeah, well, yeah, that well, says it all. Uh, yeah, that says it all, actually. You know, the rest is a court case. Were we talking about my show? <laughs> we were. Okay. Can we and cut the that canoe bit out? No, I like the canoe bits. I'm leaving the canoe bit in, actually, because I think people should know the other side to you. <laughs> I don't think you should just give them the depression side. I think you should give them... The canoe side. The canoe side. Well, that's my next show. Is that the next show? Yeah. You're just going to sit on stage in a, 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 a bit paddle. like Hiawatha. Yeah, with a papoose, <laughs> which I shoot into the audience. What a brilliant idea. Isn't it? Yes. Then I want you to come. Oh, you... Because you would be target. <laughs> yeah, I thought I might be. <laughs> She'd be aiming at me. She would be aiming at me. She keeps trying to get me to go there. She wanted me to do the interview naked, if you please, ladies and gentlemen. No doubt we'll be talking about that. I can't believe what bits they've left in. I was going to say to the producer, Beth, have you listened carefully to this interview? There's all sorts of very strange bits where we go off at such a tangent... Such a tangent. But as always with Ruby Wax, and she's going off on tour, so all the, uh, the dates will be on her website, and uh, tickets go on sale very, very shortly. Now, my other guest, I'd never met before, but I was aware of who she is. I'd never read any of her books, but I know how immensely popular she is. She comes all the way down to us yesterday from her home in Yorkshire. She's been called the Queen of Historical Fiction. She'd previously written about the first five of Henry VIII's six wives. Well, Philippa Gregory has now written a new book about Henry's last spouse, the one who survived. So what do we know about Catherine Parr? Not only did she marry him, she was his lover, and we know that because we've got their love letters. And she was his lover. They were married four months after the death of Henry. So they were clearly committed. Lovers before? I think so. I, I How can't... did she survive? <laughs> she was just absolutely disciplined. He 
I think on purpose, um, was admiral and was away at sea a lot of the time, so he wasn't at court. Right. But he did come back to court. They, they, they met during the time. I think he knew they'd both seen... the. The previous wife, Catherine Howard, had been executed for adultery. Yeah. They absolutely know that you can't keep a secret. A previous wife to that, Anne Boleyn, had been executed for adultery. You absolutely know you cannot have any question over your behaviour at all. And even behaving with absolutely immaculate propriety, even making sure that nobody ever could doubt her behaviour at all, she still uh, had a warrant for her arrest and she could have been executed and that was for her scholarship. That was her interest in reform. Oh so she was, she was on a knife edge for all the years. She must have been so grateful when Henry died. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure she. I'm sure she knew that one of them would die in the marriage. Certainly very interesting. What a fascinating... You know, honestly, I was so fascinated by her, I forgot I was doing an interview halfway through it. She just... She was talking, and and she's she's very persuasive. Is Philippa Gregory? Uh, the book's out now. And we'll talk about it, about the uh, the final one, the one who survived, the one who survived, only to get married, only to die in childbirth, because people didn't live very long in those days. But at least, at least she wasn't beheaded like uh, some of the other ones as well. So that's In Conversation with Ruby Wax. <laughs> Take your life in your hands, I promise you. And Philippa Gregory, this Sunday morning from five o'clock before my early breakfast show, which is between six and eight. And then the programme is repeated nine o'clock at night until ten. And you can download it as a podcast. And uh, Ruby's out on tour. It's uh, the first half of the show is, is scripted. Second half of the show is a bit of a freewheeling bit. And that's what she likes the most. So I hope you'll join me for In Conversation on Sunday. Hope you also uh, will follow me on Twitter. It's at Steve Allen Show. We get the most interesting people who listen to the programme and uh, mainly they uh, they sort of Twitter and they tweet and they do whatever people do. Uh, Dan, in the nightclub in Hereford, with the team, he says, I've got a mention on Steve Allen's show. Now a mystery hour round of applause from Mr James O'Brien and my life is complete. Oh listen, I can play you that now. I could play you that round of applause now, but, I mean, to be honest with you, there's no point in sort of treading on his footsteps. You know, there's no point in doing that at all. Much as I, I would actually enjoy doing it. Much as I would enjoy doing that. But we were talking about, um, yesterday, Penman Investigates. And, because um, it's such a good column in the mirror. And and I just, I just love reading the exposures. I just love reading the exposures of people who've done terrible things. And there's quite a number of people this week who... Uh, who are very good, and they are the sort of people that need exposing in the papers. How do you ever find out half this stuff? I don't know. In the Penman column, I'm always, you know, with sort of great admiration for somebody who can do that investigative journalism stuff and make it sound appealing. And Andrew Penman, you know, does this column, and it's so good. It spreads over two pages, but I'm gripped by it, absolutely gripped. It's like reading, to me, it's like reading Private Eye. I love reading private... I, I could do a whole programme on Private Eye and tell you some of the things that feature within the pages, but I'd be too worried that most of these people would be very litigious. Weather for today, I know you want to know, don't you, as you're sort of trying to bring yourself to, and there'll be people who are suffering from the last time it rained. Uh, today, further rain and perhaps thundery showers this afternoon and evening. Uh, then it'll go dry. It'll feel very warm in any bright spot. Oh, I hate it when it's like... Don't you hate it when it's like that? It goes all humid and the steam rises from the pavements. And uh, it'll come through from the west. I think it's come from France, actually. They really don't like us, do they? Uh, the high today, 21 degrees centigrade, about 70 Fahrenheit. Chance of rain, 60%. And I'd love to tell you what it's going to be for tomorrow, but I'm sneaking... Oh, I can, actually. I can tell you. Saturday, thicker cloud. I mean, has anybody ever noticed thicker cloud? Is that cumulus nimbus? Who knows? 
and that may linger near the Kent coast for a time. Elsewhere, dry, sunny intervals, feeling pleasantly warm in the sunshine, but a fresher feel. Maximum temperature, 21 degrees. The outlook for Sunday through Tuesday, a quieter spell, a lot of dry weather and some pleasantly warm, sunny intervals. Uh, isolated light showers possible, perhaps more likely on Monday. <laughs> typical, isn't it? Absolutely typical. Start of the week and we get the rain back in again. Uh, the hero teen dies in a rescue bid as her pal drowns. This is the family trip to a nature reserve, which turned to tragedy. Vandals had taken away, pardon me, taken away the do not swim signs at the lake. I never understand, and I haven't quite worked it out, how these, these kids go swimming in these lakes and they get into difficulty. Uh, this is a flooded gravel pit. And I've got no idea how deep this water would be in a flooded dra- uh, gravel pit. But whatever it is, this uh, this couple here um, was sort of drowning. And the family looked on. They couldn't do anything. They had uh, 40 police officers, a dive team, a seeking helicopter and three fire engines. But it was all in vain. Three hours later, the body of the close friends recovered from uh, Thorpe Marsh's reserve. Locals say there have been previous problems with children swimming there. Uh, the trouble is, I think with the case of all these stretches of water, where you look at it, and even if there's not a sign, you just do not go swimming there. I don't care whether there's no sign or not. Uh, I don't know how these people get into into trouble, whether or not. I mean, I know it's it's deep water, but I mean, does something drag? I mean, what is it? You know, if you're a fairly good swimmer... You know, why would this be a problem? But do not go swimming. I mean, because a a tragedy there for the two families. Absolutely a complete tragedy. Julian Clary on Life After Fanny. That's Fanny the Wonder Dog. He says, I stopped wearing makeup, but I've had Botox. Do you know, looking at Julian Clary, he's, (coughs) excuse me, coming up to 60. He does not look 60. I mean, he doesn't seem to have aged as far as I can see at all. But he's coming up to 60. His uh, One of his best friends is Joan Collins, and they play poker together. There are pictures of, um, of uh, George Cole's funeral. He had one of those nice wicker baskets. A little bit wobbly, I always think. And uh, he wasn't just Arthur Daly. He was the best of us. Dennis Waterman's emotional tribute. And his uh, trilby was uh, was there as well. And lots of people turned up including a lot of the uh, the members of the cast who used to be with him. Uh, also, the widow of tragic rugby league player Danny Jones is to sing at Wembley ahead of the Challenge Cup final. Lizzie Jones, who will perform the hymn Abide With Me for some 70,000 fans, said it would be an emotional time. Absolutely. Uh, Danny, who was 29, died for an undisclosed hereditary heart disease after collapsing during a game in May. Seems such a waste, doesn't it? Such a dreadful waste. Other stories in the papers will come round to in a moment, being Friday on LBC. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. It's the 14th, and it's now late. 14 to 6. Steve Allen on LBC. 10 to 6. According to Sean, he says Rochdale should pay more interest in child abuse there than fish and chips. Yes, why worry about the size of people? It's, It's not good. Mitch... Says, I think it's typical of our country. Uh, they tell us uh, what we can and can't do. Well, I tell you, when the time comes for one of my loved ones and they ask me to end their suffering, I'll do it and take the consequences. Uh, Kath says, Barbara Windsor sang the title song in Sparrows Can't Sing. Ain't it a shame, Sparrows Can't Sing. It's a great film, great little film. You've never seen it? It's out on DVD. 
And uh, another one says we should change the law on assisted dying only if it was in the private sector and not part of the NHS. It'd be wrong for euthanasia to be controlled by the state. You've also got to check very carefully. I mean, there are lots of, you know, otherwise you just have somebody who maybe had a mental illness going, oh, I, you know, I want to be euthanasia. You're going, oh, right. But so you, you have to check people out to make sure that they are deserving causes. Although, strangely, only a short while ago, a woman went to Dignitas to die. and There was nothing the matter with her. She just wanted to die because she didn't want to get old. She didn't like the idea of getting old. Uh, Steve, there are various petrol filling stations near my home where cash transactions I made were not rung into the tills. I now make a point of asking for a receipt. That's obviously, you all seem to think the receipt is the way forward. I just thought it was odd. You know when you go into a shop and you buy something and they don't ring it up on the till? And especially in somewhere like Greg's when they've got electronic tills. So you ring up, you know... 1,000 sausage rolls or a meat pasty or whatever it happens to be. And that would be the sort of thing I'd be looking for. And it's, it was only because I was sort of in a queue and I was looking and the first person, she never rang anything up. And it got to mine and she never rang mine up either. And there was about four of us It was not rung up. And they've got two electronic tills in there. And I thought, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Why would Greg's have somebody who's not ringing something up? I mean, all these shops, they have to monitor very carefully what they sell, what they don't sell. And presumably they would know when they do an audit, you know, we've we've sort of delivered, you know, 1,500 sausage rolls in a week, and yet we've only got money for 1,300 sausage rolls. I mean, it doesn't quite make sense to me. I don't understand how you can... I mean, I'd love to have been one of those undercover shoppers. That would make... I'd, I'd like, a friend of mine was an undercover shopper, and so they, they go in there and they, they see what, what's going on, and that would be something that would alert me immediately. It would alert me immediately. I'd, I'd have to sort of investigate that further, just for my own peace of mind. Uh, Steve, read the mobile phone charges. I recently went to Turkey, and I with Vodafone. They do a deal where for three quid a day charge, you can use your call text data allowances that you get at home. Oh, it seems OK, doesn't it? That's Dan in Essex. Surprised you worry about things like that. Uh, Raymond says, got a shock in the early hours of the sort. My TV switched itself on. I thought it was burglars. Uh, I was on holiday Wi-Fi whilst in Hawaii. Oh, God, that's even fate. That's even more fatal than anything. I'd never gone to hotels, sir. Uh, uh, Wi-Fi. Uh, when I returned home, I was horrified to get a bill from O2 for 1,700 quid. Well, you would. After, I was going to say, you might as well drink, it's like, I never drink the minibar, I never touch anything in the minibar. Far too expensive. Sometimes you get a bit desperate late at night, you sit there thinking, nuts. Sometimes I think, should I eat the nuts in there? Or should I eat the Toblerone? Don't don't think about it, Stephen. So you lie about it, you think, I've got to eat the Toblerone, I've got to eat the Toblerone. We were in a hotel in Los Angeles, when we went over to do Julie Andrews. Did I mention my book? Anyway, so I was sort of there, and they had a mini bar, and it had sweets in, and it had all sorts of nice things. And I thought, you know, perhaps I'll just have a drink. And you think, no, don't, don't, don't. Don't touch the mini bar. Anyway, so O2, 1,700 quid, Steve. And uh, then when I wrote to them, they've reduced the charge to 700. I'm currently with the financial ombudsman with regards to them investigating. The trouble is that they, they might not go as low as you think. And the reason they might not is it's written into the contract. It's written into the contract. And how many of you read contracts? Come on, be honest. You don't read the contract. Nobody reads a contract. I just sign a contract. You know, they go, oh, can you sign here? And you go, and there's pages of it. I, I couldn't read it. I don't even read my contracts here. I seriously don't. I just they say sign there. They have to write down where I'm supposed to sign. Lovely picture in the paper of two heterosexual boys kissing. This is uh, Spencer Matthews, 190, and Jamie Lang, desperately lonely. And uh, they were out at uh, a night in London. 
Spent, I mean, Jamie looks as though he's about to sort of, you know, confess undying love to Spencer Matthews because it's obviously his only friend in the entire world. They're a sad twosome. It was only a short while ago that uh, poor old Spencer Matthews, the ageing Lothario, uh, sort of said, you know, we're, we're a, in a bromance. Slightly disturbing. Even more slightly disturbing, and it doesn't get more slightly disturbing than this one. I've never understood why in the Faroe Islands they heard all these whales into shore in little boats and then hack them to pieces. The the sea runs red with the blood of these uh, whales, 140 of them. And a young Brit is telling a story here how he was arrested after helping these whales escape being hacked to death on a blood-soaked beach. Laurie Thompson was one of five protesters arrested and detained in the Faroe Islands for disrupting a hunt in which a semicircular boat surround a pod of whales. They're then driven into a bay where locals wade in and slash their spinal cords. I mean, it's everybody. Men, women and children uh, go in there and they slash these whales to pieces. I mean, the sea is blood red. And uh, he tried to stop this barbaric hunt. Uh, the Danish government is opposed to whale hunting, but polices the event. Sea Shepherd Chief... Alex Cornison said, this is Denmark's shame and it's Denmark's responsibility. It is absolute shame. It is absolutely disgusting. I've never understood why the people of the Faroe Islands stand there and these beautiful creatures are just hacked to pieces. Seriously, it's the most disgusting. Let's drag the people of the Faroe Islands into, into the water and, and sort of you know, cut them to pieces. It's ghastly, really ghastly. Um, Maddie says, Steve Allen, the thinking woman's George Clooney. Uh, Jules from a uh, from a Kent bakery says not ringing in on till is the easiest way to cream the cash out of it. Well, that's what I thought. But I'm erring on the side of maybe there was something the matter with the till that meant she couldn't ring it up. But then I, I got quite worried that she wasn't ringing it up because she was maybe fiddling. And then I thought, no, she wouldn't fiddle in front of people. I mean, anybody in that queue could have been, you know, from the company checking and could have said, excuse me, can you explain why you're not ringing stuff up in the till? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if somebody doesn't ring stuff up in the till, that to me is so glaringly obvious, that's somebody on the, on the, on the make. That's the only way I can think. I can't think, because there were two tills there. If one doesn't work, use the other one. She managed to open the till by just ringing in zero, but no amount of money was rung up. I've got to try it again today, haven't I? Just, just for my own peace of mind, because I don't like to see people cheating companies. And especially as Greg's are particularly good to their employees. They look after them really, really well. Uh, I've got a story uh, now. Mr and Mrs Average. Are you Mr and Mrs Average? Of course, nowadays, which I should really, just to balance it, be Mr and Mr Average or Mrs and Mrs Average. But uh, Mr and Mrs Average, in this day and age, uh, he's called Dave. She's called Sue. Uh, They live in a three-bed 1930s semi. They've had all the windows changed. And they drive a Ford Focus. Apparently, uh, the joint take-home pay per month is £2,106. Monthly shopping bill, 206. The house's value is about 183,000. The likelihood of being a smoker is 8%. So is that you? You are then Mr. and Mrs. Average. Amazing that they they can work these things out. The average people in the home, 2.7. So somebody's obviously not a complete person. You've only got sort of a bit of them, which always makes me, always makes me smile a bit. 2.7. I can't work out why there's going to be an evening with Liza Minnelli. Live and in conversation, in conversazione, at the London Palladium on the 20th of September. 
hosted by Sir Bruce Forsyth. Lisa will be talking about her life with a chance for you to speak to her in an audience Q&A. And, uh, and, the, and the tickets go on sale now. How much they are, I've got no idea. Now, the last time I saw Liza Minnelli being interviewed, it wasn't a pleasant experience at all. She'd, she'd sort of lost the plot a little bit. And so Bruce would be, you go, you go. You're coming out there doing a little bit of dancing, ladies and gentlemen, Liza Minnelli. And Liza Minnelli would come on and she'd go, oh, hi, Brucey. And he'll go, hello, Liza. Anyway, here's me dancing again. And so we're going to get that. I mean, I think it's going to turn into the Bruce Forsyth show, which actually is no mean thing at all. It's an odd one, isn't it? So, I mean, presumably she'll be singing. Presumably there'll then be Q&A. What would people want to ask her? I bet people ask about Judy Garland. I bet you anything. That would be the sort of thing, won't it? Tell us about Judy Garland. Tell us about Judy Garland. I like the story of the whale who asked for help. The, the papers say he begged for help. He, he turned up by, a, by a swimming underneath um, a fishing boat and then he gave it a nudge. So when they looked down into the water, there was the whale like that, and he, was, and he had a paper polythene bag on his uh, face, and he was caught in a suffocating sort of load of them, and he had fishing line caught around his mouth, and uh, thought to be a southern whale, and he patiently bobbed by their vessel until they reached over and uh, extricated the mass of refuse. I mean, it's stories like that that kind of restore your faith, and then at the end, after they took it all off, he sort of went, it was like free willy. Sort of like free willy, and and he sort of and he banged his flipper in the water as if to say, "Thanks." Okay, it's my story. I mean, I think it sounds quite good. I think it sounds brilliant. I want to believe in stuff like that. Kerry Katona's husband held for robbery, according to one of the papers. Date she doesn't know about it. She will now. Uh, Bob Cole, I will die today at two p.m. His story makes heartbreaking reading. Uh, the Beebs local radio DJ barred for the breastfeed row. They won't fire him. 6,000 people have jumped onto an internet bandwagon. And they've gone, it's absolutely disgraceful. He should be fired. I don't know why. It's, all he had was an opinion. And uh, the council taking a battering. Chippies, can you serve steamed fish in future, please? On Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. It's uh, Friday. I know you love Friday. I know you love the weekend. So I will tell you that it's the 14th of August. We get ever nearer the end of the month. You know what happens then? The hanging baskets start looking a bit dreary. And then you're into September, and that means it's October, and that means it's cold and wet. Oh, no, that's now. We're having cold and wet at the moment, aren't we, really? Uh, the Beeb DJ, local radio. It's so sweet that they're even existing. Uh, barred for the breastfeed row. I mean, to be honest with you, they've suspended him, but only because they get a bit excited about things like that. It's the most attention they've ever had down there in Southampton. Bob Cole, I will die today at 2pm. He has terminal cancer anyway. He doesn't want to suffer at the end. And Kerry Katona's husband held for robbery, and she doesn't know a thing about it. Like most things in her life. Uh, we've got some good stories for the free podcast for today. Some very good stories. We've got... Um, We've got a story about Elton John, and uh, and we've got a we've got a Jordan story, and she's also in one of the papers today. And I can't remember which paper it is. I was reading it earlier on, and uh, she's advertising some some sort of free supplement, some supplement she's apparently taking. I suspect it's one of these paid for type adverts, and she looks emaciated, and people have complained about it. But there again, everybody complains about Jordan mainly because a she can't string two words together, and b she's just vile. It's as simple as that. Um, I used to love cocktails, says Mark. Uh, Mark is up in Wakefield, and uh, it's very interesting. Yes, I do remember Norman Scott. Of course I remember Norman Scott. Good heavens above, he became infamous, did he not? And I think Norman Scott became infamous because of Jeremy Thorpe. Was that the one? I think so. But uh, you're right, he used to work at Global Village, and then he used to work at Bolts on Green Lane in Harringay every weekend. But interestingly enough, uh, Mark's brother 
in Ireland is going to next month's Cliff Richard concert in Killarney. Uh, it's only date in Ireland. I'm guessing it's news to you that Cliff is touring. No, no, no. I knew all about it because the, the fans are out in force. And uh, you mentioned Studland Bay the other day. Said brought back many, many happy memories from 20 years ago. I stayed in a luxury guest house, more like a mini hotel, called, if memory serves, Atoll House. Expensive, but we were well looked after. And he says, I know that Mark Armand is a great fan of yours. I recently heard his CD of Jacques Brel songs. And uh, I think it'd be a great interview. We've, he's on In Conversation. We've done Mark. Mark has been on In Conversation. He's ever such a nice guy. He's, um, he does a lot out at uh, Brick Lane Music Hall. And uh, so I'm going out there for a wedding very shortly. And I've got a sneaking feeling that Mark Armand is going to be there as well. No, he's been in for an In Conversation. He has. I'm, I'm in great admiration. In fact, you can find him all over YouTube doing, uh, doing Jacques Brel. Uh, another one here very quickly let's try and weave in Lisa says oh my hanging baskets are dreary now epic fail on my part I use Tomorite as well there's a trick to it isn't there I mean I was out there this morning I woke up specifically early uh, after I'd done all my stuff yesterday and I was out there at half past 12 last night this morning whichever way you want to look at it and I was watering the baskets even though it rained yesterday it is not enough but they are starting some of them to look a little bit uh, a little bit sad. little bit sad. And uh, re-Wi-Fi in hotels. I've just come back from America. All five of us using hotel Wi-Fi each night. I've assumed it's free. I haven't seen the bills yet, Steve. Ooh. I wouldn't like to imagine, actually. Sometimes you can get caught out by these sort of uh, things. And and that, that sort of worries me a little bit. I don't like people to come back. Uh, and then they go, oh, great. I've now got, you know, this here. And... And I haven't had the bill in. And then the bill comes in and you start getting all panicky about it. And so it's uh, it's quite easy to get panic stricken over bills from uh, from abroad. Uh, another one here. This is uh, who's this from? Who said this? Actually, I can't remember. Sometimes I uh, I get texts on my phone. I must have. Who did I take out for dinner? <laughs> I must have taken somebody for dinner. And oh, I know who it is. It's Pordy. And he says, I thought so, I'm from Killarney, but I won't be going to see Sir Cliff, though, he says. You fibber. You fibber. Actually, I've never seen a Cliff, uh, a Cliff Richard show. I've never, I've never been to a concert. I know that the, the fans absolutely love him. He's, ha- he's had a very faithful fan base for some time, and he was our most successful person. I can remember, though, one of the guys from LBC going to do an interview at his house when he lived in Weybridge, and he said it was... Odd. He said because he's got a jukebox, or he had a jukebox in that house, and it was all Cliff Richard records on the jukebox, which is somewhat peculiar. Mind you, I've got pictures on my walls of me. I mean, that's that's. I think that's pretty odd as well. Not not you know loads. It's not like an adoration kind of wall or something like that or anything you know in any way connected to a, a religious cult. But uh, he also had pictures of himself all round the place. But when I looked at the house and they they did it on, I think an OK magazine. I thought it was a, a dated house in Weybridge. And uh, do you have your own shows on iPhone? No, no. I've never listened to a Steve Allen program. It's my proud boast. That And somebody said to me years ago, if you're going into radio, you should be able to listen to your programmes back so you can correct your mistakes. 
well, having been in the business for 36 years and never having listened to a programme, I think I'm doing it right my way. The idea of... I mean, I remember we used to have a producer here years ago and he used to do a lot of uh, the voiceovers on the station and he told me that if ever he was in the car and he heard one of his things come on, he turned the radio volume up so he could hear himself. Well, I would, I would never do that. I've never heard one of my... Pro- Obviously, I've heard little bits of my interviews, but they're, they're live. You can't ever change anything. Once you've actually done... You know, the interview, I can't then go back and think, oh, I should have said this or I should have done it in this way because it has to be of the moment. And it, it served me quite well so far. I say so far. I'm not too sure how many more years there are in me, but uh, but that's it. But I've never listened to a never listened to a programme. I look at loads of pictures of me because I, there's only there's only about three pictures I've ever seen that I like of myself. Because, you know, you have an image. It isn't until you get out of the shower and you walk past the mirror and you think, oh, God. It's all gone west, hasn't it? It's just, it's not great. And so I've only ever seen a couple of pictures, and one of them was Arlene Phillips. Because she said to me at the end of the interview, can we have a picture done? Can we have a picture done? And so her assistant took a picture, and it actually, I, I came out quite well. I always say the same thing. Shoot me above the waist. Please shoot me above the waist. Please shoot me. Uh, Bob Cole in all the papers today. This is the front page story on the son of a man who uh, has terminal cancer. And his wife died 18 months ago at Dignitas. He doesn't want to end his life suffering. And so at two o'clock today, he will be at the Dignitas clinic and his life will end then. He's gone to the suicide clinic because he said, um, I just want to get the law changed and I want to make sure that, you know, I die peacefully. And he will. And I'm assuming that last night he had friends and he had his dinner, which I think was a vegetable curry. He will get on the plane today. The son are going to uh, follow him all the way through. He's 68, he comes from Chester, and uh, he wants the son to document his final journey. It's also something, I think, that could be quite nice for children. I don't know if he has any children, I know nothing about him at all, apart from the fact that he's going to end his life, and uh, then, who knows, he might start a brand new one in, uh, in another place. But he says how many more people must suffer before the MPs have the guts to listen to the people. And, and he's quite right, actually, he's quite right. Uh, Steve, on George Cole, that quite a few years ago, Dennis Waterman and Rula Lenska lived just by the Turk's Head in St Margaret's, which they often frequented. The, uh, the club, beside, gave its name to the same club in Minder. Uh, not the now Bearcat Club, but previously the Winchester Club, says John in Witten. So there you go. Little known fact for today. Uh, another one here. Try, try and weave as many of these in as we uh, can. Uh, do you have a shrine to yourself? Somebody says something like that crazy fan and Alan Partridge. No. And Colin says he's in a place called Ash. I mean, it might be something else. I don't know. He says he's in Ash. Thank you for the early warning about Dermot O'Dreary returning to Saturday night television. I mean, I can't believe that they'd actually, you know, he's not worked since they dropped him. Sorry, since he left the, uh, the extra factor. And also, I mean, he's just not a great presenter. He's not what I call a natural presenter. He's going to be irritating. It's 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 almost going to be, you know, like sort of. He's just got irritant factor. It's going to be like Ainsley Harriet on the dancing. You know that Ainsley's going to be sort of doing one of his inane grins, and we're going to end up hating him. You know that Jeremy Vine can't dance for Toffee. You know that Georgia May Foote's going to be the irritating little bimbo that's going to prance up and down. And then, of course, because she went to stage school, she can dance. Kelly Bright also went to stage school, so she should be able to dance, or at least, you know, sort of throw some shapes on the floor. And then, of course, we'll have a couple of... I bet you anything now, the, the rumour is that Peter Andre's going to go into it. God, imagine competing with Ainsley Harriet 
for who can be the most like an oil slick. It's going to be so ghastly, so sweetly, sickly, awful that I'm not sure I can cope with something like that. Then there'll be some poor old brainless old brain-dead bimbo that they've dragged up from Hollyoaks who nobody will know who it is. And then they'll try and find a couple of men. I say couple of men. There don't seem to be that many men in show business at all at the moment. Uh, Steve, the other reason for not ringing in the till is to avoid paying VAT by keeping the takings low. I don't think they'd ever indulge in anything like that. I just think it's really odd. If you're going to do that, you'd do that within a big company, wouldn't it? Maddie says you never make any mistakes, Steve. I know, it's... I'm almost Mary Poppins. Practically perfect in every way. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. 20 minutes. I got sent a lovely book uh, today from a lady called Caroline Blomfield. Uh, Caroline is a long-time listener, and she's written this... My God, I tell you, this makes my book like a pamphlet. It really does, because uh, this is called The Bancrofts, on and off the Victorian stage. And she says, I know that you love old theatres and theatre history, and uh, this is my great-grandparents, Victoria actor managers, uh, Murray and Squire Bancroft. Uh, Marie was born in 1839, child of travelling actors, which is what these people did. One of her admirers was Charles Dickens, but she really longed to be a straight actress and borrowed the money to take a lease on the Prince of Wales Theatre in Tottenham Street off Tottenham Court Road, which was then deeply unfashionable in London. And she hired Squire Bancroft, a young actor working in the provinces, and they turned the uh, little theatre into the most fashionable venue of the day. Uh, They then moved on to the Haymarket... Uh, They were a close friend of Henry Irving. Now, of course, Henry Irving, I pass every day. His statue is outside the National Portrait Gallery, very close to the LBC studios. And uh, how I wished I could have seen him perform. Well, this book looks like a labour of love. I've never seen so many words, Caroline, in a book. So the Bancrofts, on and off the Victorian stage, uh, the introduction by Sir Michael Holroyd, by Caroline Blomfield, is uh, is published now. It's a weighty tome. I shall look forward to to going through it as well. Uh, My friend Gordon is looking good at the moment. You know that uh, Gordon is writing a diary. He's fighting uh, motor neurons disease. He's fighting to find a cure. And so slowly, things are not getting good for him. He's an LBC diarist. He pops up on Ian Dale's programme. And uh, it's, it's lovely. But he has a pet hate. When groups of women use disabled glues to touch up their makeup when you're bursting to go. And when you're bursting to go... You're bursting to go. I know exactly what it's like. Uh, You can watch uh, all of them yesterday, a few mayoral hopefuls. It's on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Actually, some of the language that... uh, Was it this one here? Ian Dale. I've never read... Some of the words he used on here are terribly rude. Have you read some of his things? I wouldn't dream of putting a rude word on there. Do you know that Julian Clary has never sworn in his act? He never swears. He's not not one of those uh, comics who ever feels the need to swear. I've never sworn on this programme. I don't, well, not intentionally, I've not sworn. If I have, you've never heard it. But uh, I, I don't think I've ever sworn. Uh, front pages, the Mail, of course, has got Bob Cole, and it's their world exclusive. I can't wait to see what they're going to do tomorrow, because at two o'clock today, Bob Cole will die. And I don't know how much of it the, uh, the papers are going to be allowed to, to tell you about. Let's try and be adult about it, shall we? The Daily Mail, uh, Britain's 20 most romantic bed and breakfasts. 
I never know what's romantic about a bed and breakfast. I put the, depends, it's the price by the look of it. Some of these places cost an arm and a leg. I would have thought the, you know, the most romantic place is where you're with the person you want to be romantic with. You know, it could be on top of a dustbin, couldn't it? It doesn't make any difference where it is. That could be the most romantic place. I suppose romantic bed and breakfasts are where sort of, you know, the wind billows through and it's a white bed, but you're paying about 600 quid a night for it. Uh, John Chilcott last night accused of lacking a conscience as the clamour for him to publish the long overdue report into the Iraq war intensified. Uh, the Daily Mirror bans smoking outside pubs in schools, and of course it's good old Colleen Nolan, otherwise known as Miss Stinky Ashtray, and uh, she's, uh, she's not happy about it at all, banning it outside pubs and everything else. I mean, she does smoke. I mean, how she manages to get through loose women, Gould alone knows. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn is a man of principle and integrity, but make no mistake, says the Mirror, so is Andy Burnham, and only he can lead Labour back to power, so they've uh, laid their cards firmly on the table. The Express today, uh, we're talking about uh, the summer washout, and it has been a bit of a washout, and Cilla Black's funeral. She's going to bow out in style, a spectacular farewell, which is lovely. Uh, Paul says in his new shop, in, uh, in Twickenham, because they're all being done up. They're, they're being boarded, as they say at the moment. He said there's going to be pictures of you all over. <laughs> yeah, right. Not those pictures, I hope. Not those pictures. Metro today, peer forced to face child sex abuse charges. This is Greville Janner. Uh, they've tried to appeal. His uh, his uh, uh, barristers have tried to appeal to say, no, he's, uh, he's very ill. He's over 80, he's 87. He's not fit enough to appear in court, and the courts have overruled it and said, no, he will appear today. He will be appearing. Uh, there was another story here. I don't know why, actually. Oh, this is um, police left a little bit red-faced when their van was slapped with a 60-quid parking ticket. Wardens issued the fine after the vehicle was left unoccupied in a loading bay for over two hours. Uh, a, uh, a different powers police spokesman said the fine will be paid. I think so too. Although they probably could have got away with it, couldn't they? I would have thought so. Uh, quickly, The Guardian. Which one are you? Primary teachers see double. It's a school where they've got 17 sets of twins. 17 sets of twins. I love it. I wish I'd been a twin. I'd love to have been a twin. With apologies to my brother. I'm not complaining about my brother. I'm just saying I'd quite like to have a twin. Uh, the Daily Telegraph. Um, they've got here the British athletes cry foul over the kit that cut the Union Jack. Uh, plus, Watchdog says end-of-life care is not acceptable at half of hospitals. Chinese steel to flood the market after devaluation. And uh, the Mayor of Calais threatens to open the border. Oh. God, you wish the mayor of Calais just keep zipped up. Shut up. Uh, revealed the true price of right to buy. And the scandal in the White House is the independent story. Did Bill Clinton's Oval Office antics follow in an old presidential tradition? Times today, a lot of peop people jumping up and down because they got great uh, A-level results yesterday. And sectarian hatred at the heart of the British Muslim community. Plus, Corbyn's vision for Labour on the eye... And that, as they say, is about it. Thank you very much indeed for your company. I do hope you'll join me on Sunday morning for In Conversation. Promises to be a cracking programme. Philippa Gregory and Ruby Wax. It really is a really good programme. So join me from five for that, repeated at nine o'clock at night. You can listen.